Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I am live at the NFL Owners Meetings. I'm going to talk to Dirk Cutter. Jason Light will have our State of the Bucks address from Coach Chairman Joel Glazer. What is a catch? The NFL defined that on Monday. Meanwhile, the Lightning lose 4-1 to to the Arizona Coyotes, last place team in the West. Louis Domingue in goal was a bad performance all the way around. And the 20th anniversary of the Tampa Bay Rays begins with opening day on Thursday against the Red Sox. Our memories of 20 years of baseball for the Tampa Bay Rays. All that and more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Hi, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Steve Versnick, my producer. And before we get into today's podcast, let me tell you about a special offer from audible.com sign up now and get a free 30-day trial membership that's a $15 value and as a listener to this show you'll get a free audiobook just go to audibletrial.com that's spelled a-u-d-i-b-l-e trial.com slash sports day to take advantage of the deal that's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook so we got the Rays opening day on Thursday against the Boston Red Sox 20 years it's hard to believe that it's been 20 years, 1998, of course. And, and when you think about the history of pro baseball in Tampa Bay, I mean, I was there in 1998. A little bit of uh, background for me being uh, the one percenter, the guy that grew up here in the area, you know, spring training was always a big deal. I mean, all the teams that came down here, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Phillies, a lot of those teams still here, of course. And it was always very sad when spring training would end and those guys would go north and we didn't have a team. The closest team was the Atlanta Braves. Um, my father, who, who uh, actually was you know, a 19-year-old catcher for the St. Pete Saints, and at the time, back in the 50s, that was the pro baseball team. And he was a youth coach and, and coached in college and high school. And he was there for opening day, and it was really surreal for him because he was a catcher and they had seats in Section 110. He went to exactly one game, but it was opening day, and it was such a proud moment for him, and he actually missed the first pitch. He wasn't feeling very well, but he got up there and he watched the whole game. And, you know, to, to have a chance to, to see Wilson Alvarez, you know, throw that first pitch and, and realize you have a major league team, there was, there was nothing like that. I mean, it was something that he and a lot of people, including myself, who grew up there and played baseball, never thought we would see. And here we are 20 years later – and all the things that had happened, you know, with the, the Vince Namoli era and, um, and then transitioning to, you know, Joe Madden and all those things, it's, it's just been an unbelievable ride. I mean, when you think about um, the memories that, that you have of the struggles of them losing all the time, but then, you know, the great players that have come through there, whether it was, you know, Wade Boggs and, of course, Carl Crawford, and you watch the young teams develop with B.J. Upton and, it's just been something that if you're from this area and you've lived it, there's there's nothing to compare it to. I mean, my son who, you know, got to see a World Series game, and I told him at the time, you know, in 1990, uh, or I guess it was 2008, that cities have gone 100 years like the Chicago Cubs that have never seen a World Series game and to value this. And 
it's been something to to witness, something to treasure, and I think that the Rays are doing a good job of honoring, you know, that that twenty year history. Um, I'm excited about what they have this year. I don't know what the team is going to do, but Steve, I'm telling you, from a personal standpoint of 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 having grown up here and and seen this franchise develop, this has really uh, been a remarkable. 20 years of baseball and, and I'm looking forward to the next 20. I hope, I hope that this team stays here with a new stadium coming up in Ebor. Hopefully um, it's, it's been emotional. And so I, I know there's a lot of fans that probably uh, feel that way as well. And generations that have grown up now, a whole generation of baseball fans that started when they were like my son's age are now 23, 24, 25 years old. They know nothing but a major league baseball team in Tampa. I don't appreciate that as much. I mean, I grew up in Ohio or growing up a Reds fan and you know, even the Indians uh, in the northern part of the state there. You know, those the, the Reds have been around since 1869. I mean, there's nothing like starting a franchise or, or building it and growing it. You know, my first recollection of the Rays, I was in Minnesota in 2008 when they're in the World Series. And I remember my first thought going, they're not the Devil Rays? <laughs> I mean, you know, right. they had always been an afterthought for 10 years of cellar dwelling and you never thought about the, 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 the devil rays now the rays at that point and you kind of went when did, when did they change i mean you, you had no idea i mean that was kind of my first recollection of the rays and had no idea who joe madden was or you know most of the players on the team um yeah you know and, they, and it was you know a fun world series to watch i mean and the, they got beat but that the postseason they were a fun team to watch that year and then i moved here in 2010 so the the, the other three playoff appearances i was in town for so well, they went four out of six years, um, and and you know when I was when I was working for the Tampa Bay Times, or then the St. Petersburg Times, it seemed like every year you know they built the trop without a team, and that was a big deal because Tampa there was like a stadium race, and St. Petersburg built the trop with without a baseball team, and of course the first expansion went to I think Miami and Colorado, um, if I'm not mistaken, but you know it it, it was one of those deals where you you never thought it was going to happen, and and then it did. Now, how many teams um, flirted with this area? I mean, I know, all of I know the White w- Sox, the Giants. The White Sox, the Giants, the Seattle Mariners. I mean, that was the thing. It was like every year there was a – there were, we built stadiums throughout baseball. You know, I remember uh, I had a chance to go up to Chicago. And, and listen, the Cubs were the pro- – or the White Sox, I'm sorry, were probably the team that was the closest to actually moving here. You know, back in the day, the Rays essentially built the new Comiskey Park. And I went up there and, and I remember – Ozzie Guillen was a shortstop. I didn't know anybody. And my job, my assignment was to go up there and find out about this White Sox team that potentially within the next week was going to come to St. Petersburg and relocate uh, for the next season. They had a big vote in the Illinois legislature, and they ended up moving the clock back, and they didn't have enough votes, but they kept going at it, and they finally did pass pass the, the bill to build the new stadium. But the guy that I was indebted to because I didn't know anybody was was Ozzie Ginn because I told him I was from St. Pete and why I was here he took me around Jim Fergosi was the manager um you had guys like Bobby Thigpen was on that team as a closer um so I I did like a series of stories over the weekend and everybody in Chicago wanted to know why this you know these reporters were there from St. Petersburg and it was really close to them moving uh, and then they didn't. And that was the thing. It was like whether it was the Twins or the Giants or the or the White Sox or Seattle, everybody teased, you know, the Tampa Bay area. And then they finally got their own team. And so, you know, growing up here and thinking it would never happen, and, and, and then it does. And, and then, like you mentioned, they, they, of course, arrived on the scene in, in 2008. Um, but there were so many flirtations. And 
to see them finally get it. And and look, I I know there there were some. I mean, the the first it's almost like a, a franchise that has had two lives. You know, the first eight or nine years, I think it was eight years under Vince Namoli, they weren't very good to say the very least. I mean, they you know they they lost a lot of games. They were in last place a lot, and then this team sort of rebranded itself. And it did so under Stuart Sternberg and changed the colors and changed the the culture after a while. And then hiring Joe Madden, who not many people had heard about, uh, with all his quirky ways and uh, everything just seemed to click. And they you know they built a minor league system that brought guys up and Evan Longoria and B.J. Upton, the guys we mentioned. Um, but it, it was not it was not just a, a, a foregone conclusion that baseball would ever arrive in Tampa Bay much less last 20 years. And I know the next 20 years might be in doubt, but it was really something to see all the disappointments and the heartbreak. And Mark Tompkin, who, by the way, did an unbelievable job over the weekend, if you have a chance to read his stuff, not just from Sunday, but uh, all the way leading up to opening day, you know, he covered baseball for us in the Tampa Bay Times for years when they didn't have a baseball team. I mean, he went around national writing and, and covered World Series and all those things. And you know, eventually they landed a franchise. But his memories of all the things that have happened and the managers and the stories with players and the different things is just something you have to check out in the Tampa Bay Times because he is he essentially has written the book, I think, of the Rays' first 20 years. It is story after story of, of things that you wouldn't think it happened to a Major League Baseball team, but it did. Yeah, I mean, I learned so much. You know, I'm a big baseball fan. You and I have had these conversations for years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, growing up watching a lot of baseball. But, I, you know, all, a lot of these stories from the Rays, I, I never heard. Of course, I wasn't here yet. And just fascinating stuff um, that Mark's written about and, and the memories back of, you know, we were just talking about Dewan Brazelton got on the subway and went the wrong way in New York and almost missed the start. <laughs> went, uh, went to the wrong stadium, right? Well, he, yeah, he went to Brooklyn instead of the Bronx. Uh, for, instead you know, of the Bronx. Yeah, he went the wrong way on the subway. We were discussing it tonight. There was three players that were leaving the Tyrone Square Mall and stopped a burglary. Yeah, I mean that's that that that's stuff you can't make up. And you know the the conflicts you have in in covering pro sports teams and and uh, the things that like Wade Boggs was one of these guys that was you know very stats oriented and very detailed, and he had these habits. You know, um, at at this time he was going to do this. He was going to eat this meal. <laughs> One time he jumped Mark and he goes, I have a correction for you for tomorrow's paper. And, you know, Mark's like, well, what, you know, what was it? And he goes, you got my batting average wrong. So Mark's thinking, well, you know, when did I write about his career batting average or whatever? He goes, no, you got it wrong for spring training. I'm actually hitting this instead of that. <laughs> it's like, seriously, dude, like you're like, I'm three points off your spring t- training batting average. And like, and he was, he wasn't kidding. He was serious. He's like, Hey man. You better you better correct that. You better get that right. So that's sort of who Wade Boggs was. You know, he was he was just obsessed with his numbers and and uh, you know he was meticulous in his preparation and he expected everybody that that surrounded the race to kind of do the same thing. Um, so he held Mark to a higher standard. But um, you, you think of the players that have been through here. It really is incredible. The Jose Canseco, the hit show, um, Ben Grieve, you know. Uh, Vinny Castiller, you know, as we called him, Vinny Castilla. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just been, it's been a cast of characters. And then, and then the magic happened. And you have to give, you have to give this small market baseball team credit for not only just rebranding themselves, but competing and then winning. 
in the American League East against these huge major market teams that had all this money and all this talent. Um, and, you know, I remember I was covering the Bucks, of course, as I've been for most of my career. And the night that the Rays clinched the American League pennant, the Bucks were playing the Seattle Seahawks at, at uh, the old, I guess, no, it would have been Raymond James, 1998. It would have been their first season there. Yeah, it was Raymond James. And, um, or no, this was 2008. So, yeah, it was well into Raymond James, 10 years in Raymond James. So we, we go into the locker room after the game, and the Bucks won. And during the game, you would hear cheers, random cheers, based on what was happening in the baseball game. You didn't know. It, did, it had nothing to do with football. Like there'd be, you know, a one-yard gain, and there'd be a big roar from the crowd. And everybody had their radios or whatever they're listening to and trying to figure out what was going on with the Rays. And then after the game, the baseball game had not yet ended. It was the, you know, the, the bottom of the ninth, and David Price was on the mound. And literally, we walk in the locker room, and we're on deadline because it's a Sunday. I, I believe it was a Sunday night or a Monday night game. And, and so it's late, and we need to talk to these guys. It's not an afternoon game. And none of them would talk to us. They're all standing around the TV sets, and they're watching the last pitch of the last, you know, out of the ALCS when the ground balls hit to Aki, Aki Iomora, and he flips the second base, and the place went nuts. I mean, the whole locker room went crazy. And then we could talk to them about the Seattle Seahawks game. And it was just – it was a moment that, like, you know, you didn't get to share it at the trop, but – the entire the entire community felt that way, and then you know, and then of course, um, you know, the Bucks did as well. They were all everybody was a Rays fan. No, it's, it's it's awesome when the community comes together like that. Whether it's you know the Lightning playoff run from a few years ago, and all the teams were behind it, and you know the Lightning tonight, you know, really cool wore warm up jerseys. They were uh, Columbia Blue Rays warm up jerseys that had the Rays twentieth anniversary patch, the Lightning twenty fifth anniversary patch on it, and also a Thunderdome patch, uh, going back to the days of when the Lightning played at Tropicana Field for a few years. Um, That's right. They wore them for warm ups today. They're not available for sale. It's only for uh, auction when the players would sign. Um and I think the money goes to charity, I believe. I'm not positive on that. But uh, really cool jerseys they wore tonight honor you know, helping honor the Rays. Uh, but it's really cool when the when the, the community but also the other teams get behind each other. It's really cool. You know, I also saw these great hats. They were lightning hats, and mm-hmm. I, I want those. To say they're selling. They were, you can buy those. Yeah, and they had like the Rays logo on the side, or the Starburst and the Lightning logo mm-hmm. on the side. I mean, it was really cool where they were they were kind of like um, combining the two uh, franchises. They have some so. Thunderdome shirts you could buy. Dave Wills was at the the Lightning game tonight, and he bought one. He put that on Twitter that he bought one of the Thunderdome shirts. Right. And that was, I mean, they, you know, the lightning, I mean, you talk about the, 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 you know, sort of the birth of the Rays, but the dome was here long before the Tampa Bay Rays were. And so the first tenant, if you will, were the Tampa Bay lightning. Mm-hmm. And we remember, you know, them trying to reconfigure sort of the seats for that. And, um, I believe that didn't they make, I think they made the playoffs against, uh, their first playoff series against the, uh, Philadelphia was there. Um, so they have a history, you know. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In the trop as well, or what, what at, that, at that point was called the Thunderdome. Well, more memories now begin on uh, Thursday. Of course, before that, the Rays play their final exhibition game today against the Detroit Tigers. That's at Tropicana Field. As they wrap up spring training, that game is at 12.35, and then uh, they have a workout on Wednesday, and then opening day, Thursday, at the Trop, 4 p.m., against the Boston Red Sox. It's sold so, out for the 13th straight season. That's great. That's great. And it's been a tradition. I know in my family, I've, I've always gone with my son, I think the last you know eight, ten years or something like that, and uh, nothing like opening day. I mean, it should be a national holiday, I think, in, in the United States, but um, certainly we're looking forward to that. Now, I am at the NFL owners' meetings, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about the Bucs uh, in the next couple of days. Of course, we have the State of the Bucks with co-chairman Joel Glazer is going to talk to us today, and, and then we have Dirk Cutter at the, at the coaches' breakfast and Jason Light at some point. One thing that's going to be voted on, and I think it's fairly significant, I mean, we've talked about, you know, sort of what is a catch. That's something that hasn't been defined recently in the NFL and I think owners are going to pass. They've rewritten the rule, essentially, what the catch is. And it's sort of easy as one, two, three, although I'll tell you why I don't think it's going to, they completely have it nailed yet. But in talking to Rich McKay, the co-chairman of the competition committee today, it essentially breaks down this way. One, if you have possession of the football, if you go up, you make the catch possession. That's the first step. The second one is, do you get two feet down in bounds? Okay, uh, two feet or one body part. It can be an elbow, a knee, because one body part equals two feet. So, have possession of the ball, two feet in bounds or a body part. Okay, and then the third thing is, and this is where it gets subjective to me, and where I think they might struggle, but not as bad as they have in the past. The third thing is, do you can you make a football move? And a football move is defined fairly simply by a couple things, which is indisputable to them. Do you take a third step? In other words, two feet down, and do you take another step? Okay, um, that's a football move. Another football move would be extending the football. We've seen you know guys. Um, whether it was Jesse James for the Pittsburgh Steelers last year, they, they you know essentially took away a touchdown when he was able to catch the ball and extend the ball. So can you, can you make a football move by extending the football or also maybe securing it by pulling it back and securing it underneath your arm, that sort of thing. But it's not limited to that, and that's where it's going to become subjective is that you know a lot of other things may constitute a football move, and we don't know what they are but they're going to know when they see them. Um, but I think what this eliminates and what they were trying to do is essentially that whole notion of surviving the ground, which is always a weird phrase to me. Um, did he survive the ground? So in the past, if you're going to the ground and the ball was not secure, say it moved, and with the, you know, with the technology, I mean, you can see, you know, it's like everything's a Sapruder film. You can see the, the, the tiniest movement of the football. They would rule things, you know, not a catch. In real time, they would say it was a catch, and then go back and look at the review, and they say, no, the ball moved here. 
it, it may have touched the ground there and they would take away the catch. Well, now there's no more of that going to the ground stuff. If you secure the ball, have two feet down, take a step or make a football move, whatever happens after that is is most likely a fumble if the ball comes loose or something something of that nature or a completed pass. Um, and I think this is long overdue. I mean, the idea is to sort of, if you're in your backyard and Johnny throws a ball to Jimmy and we all think it's a catch, it should count as a catch. They're trying to, you know, highlight the, the talents these guys have. Now, it, it could result in some more fumbles as guys lose the ball once they hit the ground, um, but they're willing to live with that. I, I think this is a good, a good start. I, I don't know if it's going to completely solve it. But what I'm, what I'm reminded of is, talk about nostalgia and going back a ways, is the Bert Emanuel rule. I mean, Bert Emanuel was a, a receiver for the Bucks that had a pretty good career. He played like eight seasons. Um, you know, he had almost 5,000 yards receiving. And he was part of their team in the 1999 championship game at St. Louis against the Rams, the greatest show on turf. And the Bucks defense absolutely stoned them until there was about four minutes and 44 seconds left in the game. And uh, the Rams hit a big pass down the field to Ricky Prohl um, to take what at that time was, I think, an 11-6 to lead, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you know, the Bucks got the ball back. They, there was a sack. It was down in Rams territory. Um, but they had a play where Sean King threw the ball to Bert Emanuel for like a 13-yard gain, which would have set up like, you know, third and 10, third and nine, something like that. And for all the world, if you go back and watch the replay, this is a catch. It's a catch in any level. It's a catch uh, when you see it today. Uh, and yet, apparently, and it was surprised Tony Dungy at the time and others that, you know, they're spotting the ball and they're ready to go. And then the timeout is called because it's a booth review and it's inside of a minute, and they say the ball is incomplete because part of the football hit the ground. After that play, and the Bucks went on to lose because a touchdown would have won the game for them to go on to lose the game, they instituted what was called the Bird Emanuel rule. And that is that as long as you have possession of the ball, it, it's it, as long as the ground doesn't assist you in catching it, then it is then a catch. Um, but that was really sort of the first rule that, that defined – you know, what guys going to the ground, what may or may not be a catch. And then it's sort of evolved from there. And what Rich McKay said today was, you know, we've had language that's, you know, sort of complicated things. And what we're trying to do is make it less subjective. So those are the three rules. I mean, it's basically, do you have possession? Do you have two feet down or one body part? And can you make a football move? And I think they're going to be pretty lax about, you know, what constitutes that. So I think it's a good idea, Steve. I think it gets it gets the excitement back in the game. I think it allows these guys to make plays. I mean, there's iconic plays in the National Football League history that, based on the previous rule, would have been incomplete passes. And you know, this this gives these guys an ability to uh, to make plays. And you know, the biggest one was Des Bryant in 2014. There's been a lot of uh, of plays, like I mentioned, with Jesse James and. All those would have been completed passes under the new rules. Well, they went into this saying that they've heard from the fans and the fans want more catches. So yes. that's a good thing. But I'm also for anything that's less reviews. Yes. You know, let's keep the game moving. And, and, you know, when the language and the rule is so complicated that every time there's something even close, you have to review it. That's bad for the game. It's bad for the fans. It's bad for the experience. It's bad for everything. 
Yeah, and I think it will be less. I, I you know, like I said, there may result in some more fumbles, but the the referees and the officials who watched this and then went through this with the competition committee basically said, "We got this." You know, um, they 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 will call it correctly. It's only when they go back into the review booth and they slow it down in the language of saying things like, "Did he survive the ground? Did the ball move?" Well, nowadays, I mean, you you can see movement with the replay that they have. And almost anything would reverse those calls. But in real time, when these referees see these plays, they're getting them right um, under under what they're going to do next. And I th- I think it's a good thing. I agree with you. I think people want big plays. They want catches. And so, you know, this, this is essentially what they're going to do. There's other rules, too, that involve the quarterback sliding down and things like that that we can get into later in the week. But this rule is expected to pass. They wanted to somehow solve this. And and make the game, you know, uh, you know, more fun again and more uh, objective instead of subjective. So I think they managed to do that. And all they need is 24 out of 32 owners. And I think this rule will definitely pass. So, Steve, now that the NFL has figured out what a catch is, can the NHL figure out what goalie interference is? Because that's the next big mystery. Gosh, I hope so, because that rule is more complicated and less uh, uh, consistently applied than the NFL catch rule. Yeah, and it and it's hurt the lightning. It seems like more often than not, uh, although that wasn't the case necessarily against the Arizona Coyotes. Like, really, this is not a good team. Um, I understand that you know maybe Andre Vasilevsky wasn't in net, but four to one loss, and now all of a sudden, don't look now, but the Tampa Bay Lightning might not end up with the number one seed. Well, Boston's going to play Winnipeg tonight. If they win that game. They are now tied with the Lightning in points with a game in hand, so they are in first place. And so how does that change the playoff picture then? Like instead of playing, say, what, New Jersey? Instead of New Jersey or Florida or Philly, uh, if they finish second, they're going to play Toronto, Mm. who Toronto lost tonight. So the Lightning need three more points or the Maple Leafs to lose three more points to clinch home ice in in the first round for the Lightning, which if they finish second will be hosting Toronto. So tell me why I shouldn't panic here. Well, the playoffs haven't started yet. I'm a Lightning fan. The playoffs haven't started yet. Um, So you think they're going to flip the switch, or are they playing good hockey right now? They've played better of late. Tonight they did not play good hockey. Arizona took Mm -hmm. it to them. Arizona played a very structured, very good game, took it right to them. Lightning had 20 shots or maybe a couple more than that. Late in the third it was 20 shots. Um, Their only goal was a power play goal late in the third by Nikita Kucherov. Um, They did not play. They played better of late. Um, but I didn't think they played well tonight. I don't know if it's looking ahead to Boston. I don't know if it's one game in the middle of a five-game swing that's the other four on the road. You know, you never know. Um, Louis Domingue did not play bad. He was not the reason they lost this game. It was yeah, it was a boring game to watch. Mm. Well, they they got a couple more chances to straighten that out. But before we know it, we're going to be in the postseason. So you know, we'll see if the Lightning are able to. Get that top seed. Uh, well, they and play Boston twice. They first next game this Thursday in Boston. Then they have Boston here next week. So, yeah, but they are they win those two. They win those two. Year, games. Right? They are, but they win those two games, and you're pretty much going to make your, sure you're in first place. Yeah. They split them. So then it's then it's a you know crapshoot of the other games. It's coming down to the final wire, man. It's going to be exciting. We got all of that. We got you know the Bucks and and of course the drafts coming up not too long. We'll wrap up the owners' meetings, and then you got opening day on Thursday. And lots of talk with, uh, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we are loaded 
this week. Yeah. We want to make sure you guys make this a habit too. I mean, you know, you want to visit us uh, every day, Monday through Friday. I'm going to have some interviews. I, I think I'm lining up one with uh, 49ers general manager John Lynch. We'll have that. We'll have Joel Glazer. John Lynch, of a fan of the podcast. Uh, he is. You know what? I talked to John tonight, setting up the interview, and he told me. He goes, man, you guys were all over that whole JPP trade, and I listened to the podcast, and Jason was great telling stories. I was like, oh, good. So I got a fan all the way in San Francisco and John Lynch. So if he's going to listen to it, then why shouldn't you too? And we like your interaction. Of course, you can always reach us on Twitter, at uh, SportsDayTB, or uh, you can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, and, of course, email rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. We'd send like us, you send to... us your raise memories, your last 20 years of raise memories and what, what That's you love. That's a great idea. That's I mean, a great you know, idea. I, I loved, you know, when you were, in, we talked a little bit before the podcast and then during the podcast about, you know, getting to go with your dad to a, to a game and you never thought you'd see that in your hometown. You know, and how cool I didn't, that is. And, and, and how, he did. You, you yeah. cherish that to this day 20 years later. It's emotional. It is. And I know there's a lot of people just like me that probably felt that same way. And for him, I mean, I was just trying to see it through his eyes, you know, sitting behind home plate and, and all those years that he lived here and coached here and um, to see a major league team. So I'm sure people have thousands of experiences and um, things that they remember about their families and what they shared about baseball because that's what baseball is great about is, you know, the time you get to spend with uh, your loved ones watching something like that and living it for six months throughout the year uh, every day with the box scores and, and, and you know, sort of ride the roller coaster with them. So I'm excited for another baseball season. To me, I, I'm, I'm look, I know I cover the National Football League. I'm a baseball fan at heart. That's what I played. That's what our family was about. So there is nothing. And I think, Steve, you feel that way too. I mean, you were, you've been with the Atlanta Braves and you've done – you Cincinnati know, so Reds. I've done Cincinnati uh, Reds. And my, I have two young boys, and their first baseball games have been Tampa Bay Rays games, and they love it. They love going to the trap. That's incredible. Every time we'll be going a lot this year again. Um, they're always wanting to go to the trap. Yeah, and if you got kids, there's no there's no better family entertainment for my money, at least. I mean, I, again, nothing against the NFL. We had season tickets for a while when my son was growing up, and he loved it. Um, but baseball. Baseball is awesome, and, and it's back, and it's going to be back on Thursday. So we'll have lots of Rays talk, of course, and uh, we, we want you to you know to tell us your feedback and, and, and rate and review this podcast, and you can get it almost anywhere, so you have an opportunity to do that. You can get it on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you listen to audio podcasts, you can get it. And, of course, if you can't find it there, tampabay.com slash sports always has the latest episodes. I'll be back tomorrow with again with the interview, the State of the Bucks with Joel Glazer, a chance to talk to Dirk Cutter as well, and we'll set up opening day Thursday against the Boston Red Sox, 4 p.m., Tropicana Field. Nothing like it. You want to make sure you keep it right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud. Have a great day, everybody. 